The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. humanity for eons, with stories of El Dorado and Shangri-La handed down by the generations right up to the present day. But what if it were a real place that could be reached? Would it be too perfect for us to comprehend? My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and marigold, and you are listening to Cinema Limbo. Our film this evening is The Beach, the 2000 adventure drama directed by Danny Boyle, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, and based on the novel by Alex Garland. My guest is Chris Hansby and you join us in his home on the shores of the stream that passes the end of his road. Hello, Chris. Hello. What can you tell me about Danny Boyle? Uh, he directed the opening ceremony of the 2012 Olympic Games and was responsible for a vast national sigh of relief when people realised it wasn't going to be a complete disaster. Um, it was pretty weird, though. It was great. Yeah, I mean, it was weird, but it was great. It was the army of Mary Poppinses descending from the sky, mm. uh, the Queen parachuting in. Oh, the weird kind of Blake industrial agricultural paradise stuff, which I um, don't really get. Kenneth Branagh coming in wearing a vast top hat. That was it, yes, yeah. And Mr Bean playing the Chariots of Fire theme. Yes. You know. Everything that makes you proud to be British. Pretty much, I think, yeah. Well, he'd started out as a theatre director... Uh, he made his name at the Royal Court doing a number of um, musical productions and then sideways sidled into television. He was one of the first directors on Inspector Morse. Okay, didn't know that. Uh, and his first film was uh, one of Alan Clark's last, the film Elephant. Oh, yes, I think I remember you talking about Yeah, before. yeah. Um, but uh, he then moved on eventually to make his first feature film, which was. Oh, Shallow Grove? Correct. Yeah. And uh, he's had a very successful career ever since. Um, I enjoyed Trainspotting 2 recently. Haven't haven't seen it. But I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Mm. It's a very good film. But um, he has had a few missteps in his career. Uh, Trance. Yes, don't remember that. Which no one saw, and it's terrible. Um, But it's not his worst reviewed film. His lowest graded film on Rotten Tomatoes is actually The Beach. Okay, I'm kind of surprised by that. It's particularly odd given that it wound up being very important in his career because it was his first collaboration with Alex Garland Mm. and they went on to do 28 Days Later and Sunshine. Okay. Uh, And Garland has, of course, now established himself as a major filmmaker in his own right Mm. with... um, Ex Machina and the upcoming Annihilation. Because I'm lazy, I didn't do any research. So perfect. <laughs> where does this fall in Danny Boyle's? Co- so he's done Shallow Grave, obviously. He's done Train Spotting, obviously. 
Well, his next film was the the first big stumble, which was, was that, A Life Less Ordinary. That's it. I, I kept wanting to and knowing it shouldn't be called A Matter of Life and Death. But yes, A Life Less Ordinary. Well, the thing is, you say that, it also does have scenes set in heaven where everyone's dressed in white. <laughs> then that might be why I get confused by it. Um, and this was going to be his first big right. American project with a big American leading mm. name. Um, the funding for the film was apparently contingent on casting Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. Because this was the, his first feature film, his first leading role since Titanic. Right, yeah. Um, and that meant a severing of Boyle's relationship with Ewan McGregor, ah. who'd been the lead in his first three films. And they didn't work together again until Trainspotting 2 a year ago. Hmm. Um, they have apparently patched things up. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's quite, because apparently there was quite bad blood there. I guess I can understand that, yeah. Um, The irony being that in the book, um, Richard is in fact British. Oh, okay. (laughs) Alex Garland is an English author. Yeah, yeah, I I thought so. I thought so, yeah. But it might, you know, it's just one of those changes they inevitably make when they adapt books for films, isn't it? You You have to put the money in, um, in in the hope of getting some of it back, so you have to cast the big star named mm. Leonardo DiCaprio and assume the film is going to be a giant hit yes, and a critical smash and then it isn't. How, how can it fail? I mean part of the problem I had with this was because I was uh, watching um, This Morning with Richard Not Judy at the time by Stuart Lee and Richard Herring. They always called Leonardo DiCaprio Sprout Fries and I think that has always stuck in my head. I've always mentally ended up referring to him as Sprout Fries DiCaprio ever since. Why sprout face? I don't know, because apparently he has a head that looks like a Brussels sprout. It's been a while since I've seen this morning. With because of all the green layers that peel off. Quite possibly. I think it might just... <laughs> and you carve a little cross at his bottom before boiling him. It's entirely possible I've, 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 I've completely got him mixed up with somebody else. You <laughs> get an angry tweet and I'm saying, that wasn't Leonardo DiCaprio they were talking I'm sh- about. I'm, it does sound like it the sort of thing that they would do. Yeah, um... But yeah, so I've always... And I had a bit of a downer on Leonardo DiCaprio anyway. I, I didn't like him in Titanic, but then I didn't like Titanic. <laughs> Not really a film that's aimed at me, I don't think. And but it's got all sorts of technology in and, and, and big explosions and, <laughs> yes, yeah, that's and true. big disasters happening. It's supposed mm. to be a film aimed at everyone. Yeah. Aimed by that master of sensitivity, James Cameron. Yes, yeah. Who's the the ideal you know the ideal director for a tender story about a young girl's early romance? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who possibly could do anything like that better? Well, and actually, to be fair, given the box office receipts, the answer who could do it better? But um, so I remember the beach coming out at the time. I don't know if it was because I'd quite liked. I'd certainly seen Shallow Grave. I'd certainly seen Train Spotting. Skip to Life Less Nobody Ordinary. Nobody saw a Life Less Ordinary. I didn't even read the two thousand AD adaptation. Um, and what? Though they adapt, I think they adapted it into a comic strip form in 2018 for some reason. A lot of people were taking a lot of weird substances at the time. Because A Life Less Ordinary is a kind of... It's a romance. Yeah. It's a road movie romance with some supernatural and musical elements. Yeah. And 2000 AD, the home of Judge Dredd... That's the one. I'm not saying that you're lying. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying that someone didn't read the brief before they commissioned this. I think they thought it was the chance for a big, exciting team-up with you know a, a big, exciting director 
And I think they saw... Crossover with Strontium Dog. Quite possibly, yeah. Um, and... I mean, with 28 Days Later or Sunshine, well, yes, that's the yeah. kind of thing I could imagine 2008 doing. Although that's, I think Sunshine's maybe a bit highbrow for them. Yeah. Um, um, no, I've just quickly, very quickly looked it up on the internet. And I'm very glad to say I wasn't completely mistaken about this. Um... There you go. There's a still for listeners. I'm showing a still from the from the comic strip. Right. Yeah. Well. So it didn't just exist in anyway. I remember seeing the earlier Danny Boyle films, liking them, and then it was something about the decision to cast Leonardo DiCaprio in the film completely put me off going to see it. So I hadn't actually seen it until I sat down to watch it a couple of days ago. Right. Well, I think that's maybe a, a problem that the film has. Is he was the he was the heartthrob of the time. Mm. He was the uh, the pinup, and so having done this huge movie, he wants to do something that he maybe couldn't have done before. So he opts to do this weird British or British uh, originated project. Yeah, that's going to alienate his fan base. And because of his fan base, the people who would, the film would normally attract aren't going to go either. Yes. <laughs> and the result is that hardly anyone went to see the film. Yeah. But it also got terrible reviews. Yeah. And I really don't understand why people hated it so much. I think maybe they wanted to give Leonardo DiCaprio a kicking. Maybe they it's wanted to give Danny Boyle a possible. kicking. He was, he was kind of the biggest star in the world at the time. Everybody... You know, he, but he was also one of those people that seemed very easy to dislike. And I struggle now to remember why I disliked him. Um, apart from the fact that he was young, attractive, good-looking and successful. I mean, what's... He does, he does strike me as one of those entourage types, unfortunately. Yeah, possibly. Um, but, and also, <laughs> he won his Oscar for a film that he definitely didn't, didn't deserve to win for. But it was his turn, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. That's not the point. <laughs> You win for the merit of the work. Well, yeah. Um, In an ideal world, maybe. But um, he is a good actor. Mm. I do think he's a very good actor, and he's delivered some really terrific performances. I think Wolf of Wall Street was the thing that he should have won for. He was terrific in that. But I do like him in The Beach. I Mm. think that he he gets a handle on this this character who's likeable but also deeply flawed. Yeah. And really has something wrong with him and is driven far more by things happening below the waist than he really should be. I I think the other thing he's able to do is he is able to play the dislikable aspects of the character quite honestly and he doesn't alienate the audience. You know, there are points when when he's a thoroughly nasty piece of work but it never actually you don't end up turning against him as a character or wanting him to come to a bad end, although I was convinced he was going to come to a bad end. But that's a separate that's a separate thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, how, how would you describe the film overall in plot terms? I'm not sure how much of it we're dealing with an unreliable narrator here. I'm actually not entirely sure how much of it happened. As far as I'm aware, everything we see happens, apart from the stuff that is clearly... Yes. Not real. Yeah. Okay. That's in, that's okay. That's the, like the the Vietnam hallucinations. The yeah. Where people who are clearly 
already dead come back. Yes. <laughs> when he imagines himself as Banjo Kazooie. Yes. Yeah. All those those we can be fairly sure didn't happen. Yeah. Everything else, as far as I'm concerned, is real. Okay. Because I'm not even sure. I didn't necessarily buy the ending, because by the ending of the film. He felt like he'd gone through too much to be somebody that was kind of sitting in an internet cafe, fondly reminiscing over a photograph of something. I don't know. It's a. I. 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 I anyway, you asked me. I, believe <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah, you haven't asked the question. No, yet. I haven't. I was going to say. So you asked me to say. Well, an American tourist goes on holiday to Thailand. He's given a map which leads to an amazing beach that's off the beaten track. And he goes there with three people, discovers a colony of... Dropouts. Dropouts, yes, that's a in the nice be, In the best yeah. sense of the term, they're dropouts. Yeah. I mean, that's the other problem you've got, is that you're forcing me to watch a film about um, young, attractive people having a lovely time on holiday. My instinctive reality is just to sit there without getting a job at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a good chance I could end up alienating a lot of the listeners under... Let's say thirty-five at the, with this. Don't worry, I don't think they're already. Oh, okay, fine. In that <laughs> case, that's fine. Um, but yeah, and then after that, events may or may not take place as happens. I mean, there's part there's part of the film. He's t- when he's talking in the film about the shark attack, and he's massively bigging up what happened and giving that whole stupid speech about how. Um, what is it? He looked into the beast's eyes, and mm. and you know, and a, a sequence which, to to his credit, I found so embarrassing I couldn't actually watch. <laughs> um, and yet, again, at the same time, he he d- plays this whole speech, and so he's established himself within the context of the film as somebody that will exaggerate and, you know, over overplay his own role in things. He- there is that recurring thing of him seeing the world in terms of fictions. Yeah. He has this sort of low-level obsession with Vietnam movies that he mm. winds up being able to live out for real. And the way he retells the story of him fighting the shark, it's basically Jaws with him in it. Yes, yeah. And I think that's... And so given that there are scenes within the film that establish that he's a, he's a bit of a fantasist, you're watching a film that he's then narrating... And that's just what what brings me back to this thing of I'm I'm not entirely sure how much of this. Well, I think because in the stories that he tells, he's the hero. Mm-hmm. But in the story of the movie, he's not the hero. No, this is he's true. He's the protagonist. Yeah, yeah. But he does not come out of it well. No, and that's what I was coming back to saying about the ending was that I kind of feel at the end of the film that character has gone through too much to be the person that sits there and, and looks at a picture. And goes, oh yes, I remember that was nice. Well, that wasn't. I mean, I'm jumping right to the end. Of the <laughs> yes, um, yeah, yeah. That was very much a compromise ending. Oh, the ending, okay. The ending of the book is very, very much darker. Right. That'll be interesting because it'll. Be, we'll, I guess we'll get to that in time because I can t- certainly tell you how I expected the film to end at that point. <laughs> see, where, <laughs> see whether they match up. Well. I think that the ending of the book is darker than what you thought it was going to be wow. because it's like, oh right, yeah, they did write a zombie movie after this, didn't they? Ooh, okay, now I'm all intrigued. Um, now the the problem here, listener, is that originally uh, this episode of Cinema Limbo was going to be recorded about eighteen months ago, but because of technical issues, we had to scrap that episode, and it's kind of 
wind up being shuffled back the running order quite a long way. The result of which is my notes are so old and the ink has dried into the page so much that it's quite hard to read. And, then and I also haven't watched the film again since then, oh. which was probably a mistake. <laughs> that could have been a tactical error, yes. Because now you're relying on my half-remembered recollections from all of two days ago. Well, I've seen the film several times yeah. and I've read the book. I actually read the book about the time the film came out because that at the time it was the book to mm, read. It was yes. the book that everyone on the tube was reading. It was the... It was, it was I'm trying to think, like, it's like Harry Potter for the well, It's it was actually a proper book. Yeah. Harry Potter is a great story, and that's fine. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is a load of shit. Um, but The Beach is a proper novel. Mm. Is it? I haven't read it. I mean, I'm aware that Alex Garden is a proper novelist, you know, because he wrote Mike, Microsoft's, was that him as well? Generation Douglas Copeland, wasn't it? God, I'm a, okay, there you go. Today I'm getting Douglas Copeland uh, and Alex Garden mixed up. They're at the Coma and the Tesseract. Tesseract, that was it, yeah. But he does now seem to be focusing more on filmmaking. Right. They're having, they're having done um, Ex Machina and um, Annihilation, which hopefully should be out in the UK by the time this podcast drops. Okay. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Because um, apparently it's very good. Did you write The Beach as a book? I like the book. Okay. Um, I think it has a few issues that the film addresses, but he's a very talented writer. Uh, the problem I have with, lit- with very literary fiction is it's very keen to tell you how clever the author is. Okay. <laughs> and Garland doesn't seem to have that particular neurosis. He's concerned in telling the story right. and communicating the ideas that he wants to communicate and not tell you how brilliant he is. Right. And I also respect the fact that he has absolutely no um, neurosis about genre mm. because he clearly loves science fiction. He's worked, almost everything he's done has been science fiction. Every film he's done has been science fiction, certainly. Uh, and this is, I think, the only near-straight non-genre right. thing he's ever done. I think the Tesseract has yeah. odd elements to it, and the coma certainly does. I, I like him very much as an author, and I think, yeah. he's, I think he's very talented. I'd recommend the book. Yeah, okay. But the book is, in some, in some ways, quite different to, to the, the movie. Okay. The other issue that I thought was interesting is, originally this was going to be a big Christmas release for 20th Century Fox. This was going to be one of their Oscar movies for 1999. I can't see that at all. I don't, I don't not even necessarily in a derogatory way, but it, it just doesn't seem particularly Oscar-baiting Oscar in, a, in, in, a, in a way. It doesn't have a big... It, OK, it's got a, 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 a big star, but it's not giving a particularly showy performance. He's not playing somebody famous from history. I'm struggling to follow Fox's thinking on this one. It's, it's a prestige adaptation of a best-selling and acclaimed novel. I think that's the logic they were I going suppose with. So. And it has a big star in the lead, an acclaimed director mm. making his US debut. Yes. Um, although I think um, The Lifeless Ordinary had some US funding. But this is a prop, this is a studio yeah, yeah. picture. And this is, I think, Boyle's only big studio picture. He's done some stuff for Fox Searchlight, mm. but this is 20th Century Fox. This is, this is only one for the big six studios. Um, but apparently the early reactions to it were quite negative, and 1999 was a very, very good and very strong year for movies. Okay. Uh, I mean, certainly they weren't allergic to weird movies, because I think two of the Best Picture nominees were The Sixth Sense and Being John Malkovich. <laughs> okay, yes. So they weren't too worried about yeah. Putting people off, but it wound up being postponed to February of mm. two thousand. 
Yeah, there's that vague sense of it being dumped then, isn't there? Well, yes, I suppose so. I mean, now, of course, we have blockbusters coming out all, all, all the way around the year. I mean, February this year, we've got Fifty Shades, Freed and um, Black Panther. Yeah, I suppose that's, yeah. Which are going to do huge amounts of money. But back then, I think the idea of something being shuffled away from Christmas mm. to February to give the other movies a chance. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, it does look like a bit of a death sentence, as it indeed turned out. Yes, to be. It, yeah, exactly. So we're first introduced to Richard, uh, and he narrates in voiceover that he's he's come to Thailand to seek new experiences. That he's from quite a upper middle class, mm. comfortably off background, but you know he's he's trying to look for the the real the real authentic experience. And one of the um, uh, mantras he has for himself is "Don't say no to anything." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. At first, someone uh, on the street says, "Oh, you want to you want to drink snake blood," and his instinctive reaction is to say, "Well, no, of course I don't," but he catches himself, and then we see him drinking snake blood, and obviously it's horrible. Yeah, it's vile. <laughs> but that's not the point. The point is to open yourself to these sorts of things, mm. and to be, to not allow yourself to exist only in one small corner of the world. Yes, I mean, the, 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 there's a theme running, certainly through the early portions when they're journeying towards the island. He's very dismissive of tourists, and, you know, the, the, there's sequences where he's sort of pictured looking, sitting sourly among people that are just sunning themselves on beaches and things. Mm. As if, in some way, he's not doing exactly... And, and I suppose it's down to the audience to decide whether or not he's a massive hypocrite. But this was, in the early part of the film, what I did really take against his character, because he's out there. He's the, the fact that he's drinking snake's blood because he's decided to say yes to everything, rather than just because he's got completely drunk and doesn't know where... You know, like, yeah, I'll drink some snake blood, that mm. sounds... You know, it doesn't matter. Same outcome for different reasons. So he's as much of a tourist as anybody else. It's just he doesn't seem to be willing to admit it. He looks down on those who are not absorbing their environment. Mm. I remember quite clearly there's a mention in the book of him going to a bar where The Simpsons is playing on TV in the corner of the room. And that's obviously meant to be for the benefit of visiting Westerners. And he is... He looks down on that a great deal. and And I think, yeah, he's got a point. He has got a point, but at the same time, he's still in the bar. He's still going to but, the same places as everybody well, else. But this is in the Khao Sang Road, which is, that's like the starting point. Yeah. That's where, all, that's, that's where you start from if you want to explore yeah. Thailand. And so you can get a hotel room there, you can find routes to everywhere. So, they, well, that's fair enough. Because, you know, you have to go to the mm. airport to get to the country. I suppose, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, now, you and I have both lived in London for a long time. Yes. How do you feel about the kind of tourists who come to London and want things to be exactly the same as they are when they're at home? I don't know if I've ever encountered anyone like that, to be honest. Um, It's possible I just don't go to those bits of London. I don't tend to hang around the Tower of London or the the obviously touristy bit. So I, I don't know. I know there is this perception, and I'm stealing a joke from the Mary Winehouse experience now, there is this perception of sort of American tourists walking up to people and going, excuse me, what time is the changing of the ravens at Buckingham Castle? <laughs> but I've never met those people. It hasn't happened to me very much, but I, whenever I go into 
Cafe Nero, just to have a, a nice relaxing mm. beverage. All the customers there all seem to be Italian as well as the staff. I think, you know, you could go to Lion's Corner House <laughs> yeah. if you can find one. Where are you um, and I find the same thing. I mean, it's it's like all the people who go to the Costa del Sol and mm. oh, hang yeah, around yeah. in the British theme pubs and having egg and chips. Think, God Almighty! I, I have tapas. I mean, it's not poisonous. <laughs> so far as you know, I'm, my understanding is they put fish in it. There's fish. And fish and chips. <laughs> yeah, but that's proper English fish yeah. fried in English batter. <laughs> English pollution. Yes, yes. Proper British mercury poison. Yeah. I don't know. I for a while I had a my brother used to live out in Finland and I went out to visit him and one day I went for a wander around the streets of Tampa, which was the town he was living in, and I, all I really wanted to do was buy a sandwich. And all I knew was that I would consider it a mark of failure if I went to McDonald's. So I have had that thing of going, I'm somewhere different, I should try to do something different mm. but I suppose what it is is it's there's nothing wrong with that but there's also nothing wrong with comfort I forget who it was I think it was a friend of mine that said they went to India and they were out there for oh, no one continent um, Africa <laughs> you know China okay <laughs> um, they went out to China and yes very nice lovely Chinese food blah 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 but after about day five they just wanted something that wasn't noodles and rice. So they went to McDonald's. So don't have a problem with people seeking out the familiar or the comforting. But I, you know, I, I can absolutely understand that. I guess what I, particularly in the case of Richard in the beach, object to is the people that think they're above it because they're deliberately, oh, I'm not just here for these boring hedonistic reasons as these people. I'm here for hedonistic reasons of my own. Mm. And I think it's that degree of separation of assuming that assuming that you know the reasons why people around you are doing it and yeah. that that makes you better than them. I think that's yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. In the in certainly in terms of his character at least. That's fair enough, I think. Mm. <laughs> While he's in the hotel he's he meets Daffy. Yes. This, this strange yeah. man who calls himself Daffy, who tears a hole in the little yeah. mesh grill over the over the wall and tells him about this beach. Um, does Daffy strike you as a terribly trustworthy person? No, not even <laughs> remotely. Um, and that that whole sequence actually is, is quite nicely done because it is a bit of a grim. You can hear everything that's going on in all the other rooms around you. And as it subsequently turns out, you don't have any privacy anyway because what you assume is an enclosed room is separated by what, mosquito netting or something? Very thin walls yeah. with mosquito nets at the top. Yeah. And there is, again, that contrast of, well, yeah, what is it? I came here seeking paradise, and what I found is a slightly crummy hotel room. Um, but no, Duffy doesn't strike me as being a particularly, particularly reliable person. And not entirely... Maybe he's just humouring him, but it, he, he seems to immediately take to his story about the beach, doesn't he? I hadn't really picked that up at the time. My assumption was that he was... Because he, he, he can tell that Daffy does have something mentally wrong with him and he's thinking is this guy going to suddenly shank me in the eye well, um, yeah. so I think he is just humouring him just saying oh really that's that's a nice story isn't it mm. okay bedtime yes, yes. <laughs> and then is it the following morning that it turns out that Daffy has 
slashed his own face or yeah, cut so his own throat and, and Richard finds the beach, the map to the beach that's been pinned to his door. That's it, yes. Yeah. I maybe I wasn't paying as much attention in the early portion of this film as I could have been, probably because I was getting on my high horse with all these young people enjoying themselves. <laughs> um he immediately seems to decide I'm gonna go and speak to Francoise. When's he met her before? I think it was just briefly in the corridor, wasn't it? Is it just it? So it is just a spur of the moment thing. Yeah, because that was what I. Well, that's the whole thing that he's all about spur of the moment now. Yeah, spur true. So yeah, I'll I'll ask this girl who's clearly with this other guy if she wants to come with me to this beach, and and he and actually he rehearses it to himself, and um, she immediately says, "Oh, oh, Etienne, this is a great idea. Let's all go along to this beach." Yes, and it turns out Etienne is actually a really nice, organised guy, and mm. it's impossible to dislike him all the way through the movie. No, he's he's, he's the, the he's the moral centre of the film. Yeah. it turns out. Yeah, he might be the hero. He's not the protagonist of the film, but he might be the hero. Yeah. Yes, and um, and that quite. I, I did, I did like the 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 gag when. He knocks on Francois's door and Etienne opens it and he goes, Do you want to take a hike? And then he realises <laughs> he's used to. And he does do an impression of him later on as well. Yes, he does it. He does, yeah. It's like straight from the off, DiCaprio is trying to dismantle his, mm. his image by just being a horrible dick. Yeah, but, but doing it in a very engaging, a very engaging way. You know, I, I, I was really. I think. I don't think I'm giving you too much away. I prefer, much preferred the first half of this film to the second The half. Journey to the Beach. Yes. The Journey to the Beach is definitely more engaging, I think. Because um, at that point, it feels more grounded in reality that it's the search for a mythical place. Yeah. And then halfway through the movie, they actually get there and they find that it's all real. And then it yeah. becomes a different story. Yes. Yeah. I think it might be that, that awkward turn as it tries to then cope with, OK, well, now here we are having a lovely time in paradise what we're going to do well that's the whole thing is that yeah that paradise can only exist as an idea and that's that's Mm. ultimately the thesis of the film that the search for it is what makes it so potent yes and then at the end of the film where he's looking back on it he's deliberately not thinking about the way everything ended and the, the, all the, the terrible things that happened. He's remembering that one moment when they had that photo on the beach. Yeah. And everyone yeah. was smiling, and everyone was having a great time. That was paradise. Yes. It, could, it was when they were looking for it, it's when you're looking back on this isolated thing. It can only ever exist as an idea. But Be- it's, it's something that you can then hold on to forever. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think the other thing as well is... I'd obviously I knew nothing about the beach going into it, but I must have seen some trailers at the time, and I think they obviously pushed the angle of ooh, what's the, what's wrong with the beach or something? What's, what's the what's, what's the, the mystery? What's the snake in the, yes. the Garden of Eden? And so I was on the journey, and obviously I'm still watching this with my the clues. People, they're young; they've got full heads of hair. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a full head of hair. I know. Well, yeah. Um, but you're, got a full head you're, of not in, you're not in Thailand having a nice time. And so I'm watching them and I'm boiling with hatred and self-loathing. Bitterness. Yes, and, you know, you know it's, a, it's a normal night for me, basically. And uh, <laughs> I can't imagine you ever being bitter or angry. You're just so nice and, and friendly and cheerful. Well, you know, it's, a, it's all the front. But... Uh, <laughs> 
But the so I'm wet, so I know, but I've also got this vague knowledge in the back of my head that it does all go wrong. Hmm. So I think I also partly enjoyed the journey to the island for the moment when something. Ter- I didn't know the nature of the something terrible, but I knew that something bad was going to happen to them when they got there. So it was kind of that expectation of a fall, I think, as well. Hmm. And I, there was right at the start of the film, I think I would have been willing to bet money on. Daffy luring people there. That was the thing I wasn't 100% certain about, was, was was this a trick? Was he somebody that was kind of sent out as bait to lure people to this mysterious island where... It was going to be full of pirates and they ate Something people. terrible was going to happen to them. Yes, I mean, who knows, uh, who knows what? And weirdly, right up to the moment when they discover his body, I even thought that that potentially could be a fake, that they just sprayed a bit of... Um, tomato ketchup round or something to make it look like it killed himself. Right. Because the one thing I learned from Sam Peckinpah was that blood turns black when it drops. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, then the police turn up and I think Daffy's cremated and that's the point where you think, well, okay, he's probably, <laughs> he's probably he's telling probably the not truth. Trick, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yes, and then, as you say, they, 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 they travel up the coast and they, they journey. But it's definitely the journey that I find the most engaging about. Mm. Their last night in civilization, as it were, um, Richard is staying in a little beachside hut, mm. one hut over from three Americans who he gets chatting to, and he blabs the whole thing yes. because he's an idiot, and he copies the map for them. Yes, yeah. And so already that's, even before he's got there, he's already laying, sowing the seeds for his own downfall. Mm. That's the, the, the fatal flaw in screenwriting terms, is that he can't follow through on his own, oh, I'm going to yeah. set out an experience of anything new. He still has to have the, the things from home. Yes. But it's not, it's not quite how you described, you know, going to a foreign country, you need to have something that's just familiar, yeah. just something that, uh, just a little bit of comfort. No, he has to actually... Yeah, it's not just, because it, it's not just the wanting to... Because the, the 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 wanting to hang around with people from America, you can understand that as being, oh look, here I am in a strange place, and here's some people that at least know the same cultural cultural touchstones that I do. But no, there's something then about. I think it's because it's told in the context of the the other Americans talk about the island as being this urban legend or something, don't they? Yeah. And I think it's because it's suddenly framed in those terms again. It's an opportunity for him to big himself up and be the person that's in the, the person that knows the secret. And yeah. The person that has you know the one who's the one who's better than the uh, the, the, the sun yeah. seekers. Yes, that's it. And again, it's it, it all feeds back into the same. Same characterisation. So yes, so like an idiot, he leaves them a copy of the map. And I think he probably would have talked to them as well if it hadn't been for Francois Nettien suddenly turning up. Yeah, because he's, he's locked himself out of his... Um... Yes, yeah. That's... Oh, that's the one. isn't it that they're sitting around drinking Budweiser as well? Yeah, and that's thought, it. Now that is the exact sort of thing Richard is supposed to be getting away from, because Budweiser is the blandest... Boringest beer in the world. Yeah. It's not. It's not good, is it? I mean, just drink Thai beer. I mean, I've had mm. Thai beer. It's it's, it's not. It's, it's different, but it's, it's not horrible. Beer is beer is beer. You know, it's gassy and it makes you drunk. That's pretty much all you need to know. I mean, we sophisticated continental types. Mm. We drink Indian beer. Yes, like Tiger. Yeah, and that's perfectly fine. I don't know what all these people are complaining about. 
they get a boat to the sort of the last island, and the, mm. the 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 island where they think the beach is is actually part of a national park, as well, where tourists are banned from because it's supposed to be some kind of preserve. So they manage to get a, a lift to the last island, and they stay overnight on the on that beach. Mm. Yes, you get as close to the edge of it as you can, don't you? And then yeah. you have to swim the last last little bit, last mile or two. But they can see the islands, and mm. it's and the water is calm and, and relatively flat. But the night before, there is a that moment between uh, Richard and Francois. Oh, that's right, the star, the stargazing. Yes, yeah. And that really sows their relationship. Yeah. That there is definitely a a mutual attraction there, even though she is still faithful to Etienne. Mm. Because he's just a great guy. Yeah, because he's just nice. <laughs> <laughs> he's a really decent human being, yeah. and Richard's a dick. But again, from their perspective, from from Francois' perspective, Etienne is he's just some bloke from Dieppe or wherever. Whereas Richard's from exotic America, so it is. It, yeah, again, it's that that exoticism. Thing. Yeah. But they they swim over the following day, and they find the side of the island they've arrived on is a huge pot farm mm. staffed by farmers armed with Kalashnikovs. Yes. Which is not quite what they were hoping for. No, and this was the point when I, I thought that I was still operating on the power and I thought that, that the it's, twist was going to be it's going to be a trick and that, yes, they're going to spend the rest of their lives farming pot or something. I don't know a lot, or indeed anything, Mum, about pot, but... Um, I'm pretty sure it doesn't just grow naturally in big fields like that. So the moment they stepped out, you're going, this is, this is definitely not right. And you probably shouldn't just be wandering around. And yeah, and then you get the whole nice sequence with the monkey and the guards, which is all quite tense and very well directed. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the direction of the film as a whole? I didn't... There's a few... Real show offy look at me sequences. The stargazing bit is one that springs to mind because yes. suddenly it all goes very, I don't quite know, subjective, doesn't it? And yeah. the stars smear across the sky and they've got that weird. Sort of persistence of vision. Yes, that's it. Thing I, of, as she walks through the frame and it's images of her sort of stick as she walks. Yeah, because, because I'm more of a child of the 70s, it always reminds me of um, when the BBC bought one of those Quantel effects boxes <laughs> and somebody sat there and went, well, what does this button do? And one of the things it seemed to do was that persistence of frames mm. so that it would grab a frame and then it would grab another frame and they would smear out like a sort of... Car. And that, that weirdly, uh, so I'm sitting there watching this film made in 2000 and all it's doing is reminding me of watching Top of the Pops in 1981. <laughs> there is the video game sequence later on as well. Yes, and again, that's, but that's another example. I suppose you're trying to, you're trying to visualise something and you're trying to explain somebody's state of mind by, by showing, not telling, which is always good. Mm. But the vi I always get annoyed with the representation of video games in films, because it always seems to me like nobody has watched, has looked at a video game since about 1992, because this film was too, like I say, it was 2000, wasn't it? Is it is the beginning of 2000. Yeah. Yeah, they look better than that. One of um, Danny Boyle's signatures as a filmmaker is the, the sort of music that he uses. Mm. He uses a lot of dance style music, and the film has a very heavy influence of that on the soundtrack, music by Underworld, yeah. um, Chemical Brothers, I think. Yeah, I didn't particularly recognise any of it, but it was there were several points when 
you know, you would suddenly, I would suddenly pick up the soundtrack. Oh yeah, this is just like train spotting or something. Mm. And it's, that's carried on mm. right the way through. I mean, um, he, I think Rick Smith from Underworld, who's actually written scores of some of his more recent films. But what did you think of uh, Angelo Badalamenti's score? Because he's quite an unusual choice, I thought, to work on this because he's David Lynch's regular composer. I don't remember the score. It's not the kind of film I noticed the score particularly. Oh, really? It has has that wonderful central theme, which I want to play for you later, because um, my birthday's in March, and I got the soundtrack for my birthday about oh, yeah. a month after the film came out, and it's been like a hard playlist favourite of mine ever since. It's funny, isn't it? I don't just don't remember it figuring at all. Um, yes, it's funny, isn't it? It's it, it, just that thing of how, how you'll take different things away from films. I'm sitting here now and I'm struggling. I mean, there, there presumably was a point when the film started and the words the, be- the Beach came up on screen in big letters, but I don't remember a title sequence or anything particularly. I don't. I think the, the title sequence plays over the first scenes of Richard. Is it fairly minimalist? Okay. It's fairly minimalist then. Yes. Yeah. No, sorry, no comments about the score. <laughs> well, the, the uncle and Richard Ashcroft song over the end credits, Lonely Soul, later reused in Misfits. I mean, I could. I can go, it's I can it's go fine. Through, I can go through the list now. I sat there and I, I sat there and watched the closing credits. Um, it was just a song. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's got left field Moby. Yeah, I, there, like I say, there were definitely points when it's you would suddenly hear bits of music fade in. And it's like, yeah, this is this is train spotting. Yeah, this is definitely the same guy that did. But oh. no, I was, I'm the wrong person to speak to about music. Well, it's maybe maybe because I'm a big sort of. I, I may not seem the type, but I'm quite into nineties dance music. Yeah. So like, stuff like um, Chemical Brothers and Daft Punk and that kind of thing. So that made an impact on me. Yeah. yeah. Chemical Brothers are not on the soundtrack, by the way. I just uh, checked. Oh, okay. But having made it through the uh, pot fields, they find a, a waterfall that they have to cross, and that's the. So that's, the like, hard, the, that's like the final yeah. guardian of uh, the gates to paradise, and they. <laughs> They're trying to argue about whether or not they can climb on the side, mm. and Francois makes the decision for them by just jumping off. Yeah, yeah, and that's quite a nice. Uh, that's a nice little character moment again, um, and that's where Richard and Etienne have yet another one of their sort of U.S. French disputes, isn't it? Yes, there is that slight undercurrent all the way through. Yeah, it's never really serious. But it's but it's always it's, vaguely there in the background. Yeah, it's kind of that's something that they will fall back on mm. when they kind of run out of sensible arguments for things. Is oh well, you know, W W two in the way that a lot of people seem to, unfortunately. Yes, two yeah. world wars and one world cup and that kind of yeah idiocy. yeah that's right. I don't even like football. I like hockey. Escape to Victory is quite good fun. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's been about 20 years. I saw it one Christmas. But they're found by uh, Keaty. That's from it. The, from the village community, played by Patterson Joseph. Yes, yeah. Who uh, I'd seen in the title. I, I was, it was that thing of kind of watching the titles going, I'm going, oh, Patterson Joseph's in this. Oh, Tilda Swanton's in this. Swinton. Swinton, Swanton, <laughs> Tomato, Tomato. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, he, he takes them to this little community that feels like a parallel universe. Mm. 
the sort of dropouts and and all sorts of types from all over the world have all come together to make this little community that seems to function perfectly. And again, because I was still convinced that something was going to be rotten in the heart of paradise, I'm looking at this, and I was convinced it was going to be some horrible, for want of a better phrase, sex colony or something. Those sex people, Lynn. Yeah, these, <laughs> that's it, yeah. <laughs> these sex people in their sex colonies. I'm going to write to the Daily Mail about it. And uh, yeah, I was, and so I'm kind of, and there were a couple of moments, and I think this is me projecting my own fury to find something wrong, was as they're doing that initial walk through the uh, through the colony, they get some slightly, or what I read, a slightly anxious glances from some of the women, and I did start to wonder about the nature of the colony, but of course once it turns out that Tilda Swinton is in charge, you know, you think, well, okay, that's, that's, almost, that, that's almost certainly not what's going on here. Um, and no, and it turns out paradise is rotten for a whole variety of different reasons. Yeah. But that, the moment where they're walking through the colony and, and Kitty is saying, oh, this is, mm. is in charge of that and this is unhygienics and he's, the, he's yes, our yeah. cook and he looks absolutely miserable all the way through the movie. Yes. Yeah. He's very much the Griffin the chef of this film. Yeah. It's the obligatory Doctor Who reference. <laughs> um, I quite like the fact that they called the, the chef unhygienics. Um, like an asterisk character. Exactly, that was it, because he was the fishmonger, wasn't he? In... Yeah, yeah, un- yeah. Unhygienics is the fishmonger. So there's persistent. There's all jokes all the way through the Asterix books that he's he smells of fish and his fish will rotten. So yeah, like it's difficult to think for a more un- unsympathetic uh, nickname to give a for <laughs> But um, uh, Richard and Francoise and Etienne are sort of dumbstruck by finest, mm. and I think it's real. Yeah, it's yeah. it's all real. Contrast with Star Trek Five. Yes, <laughs> um, I can't help feeling the same way because I'm quite gullible and I believe almost everything I read. I think, yeah, this is amazing. It's fantastic. Mm. And say, oh, well, do you want to do you want to see the actual beach then? And they go and to actually see the real beach itself, mm. and it is perfect. Yes, this unspoiled stretch of I suppose golden it... white sand and a bay of clear blue water ringed by cliffs at the far side. I suppose the thing is, it's no less attractive than any of the other locations they've been walking through, or travelling through. It's just that it doesn't have the, the, the people that Richard regards as human detritus clogging it up. It's not been turned into a commodity. No, it ha- no that's true. The tragic thing, well, firstly, it, doesn't re- it never looked like that. Didn't it? Um, CGI was used to uh, enhance the cliffs no. surrounding it because you can actually see quite clearly out to sea. Um, but uh, landscaping work was done prior to production, adding in trees and various flora and fauna on the condition that it was removed. It actually caused some controversy. Oh, I think, about I, I, think I remember this. They ended up being criticised for da- ironically for damaging the paradise that they were trying to create or something. Yes. Um, which led, I think, to lawsuits and fines and things. Right. But inevitably, that beach has become oh. a tourist attraction, <laughs> and it's just been over, it's been overrun by not just by tourists because that's you know any foreign visitor, but by thoughtless tourists who turn it into a playground and they've ruined it. Mm. Yeah, you see, that's and so just like for Richard, the beach can only exist 
as an ideal or as a memory. Yeah. It's a tragedy, really. Yeah, it's it's a shame. Um, and I have no easy solution. You know, countries like Thailand depend on tourism for their economy. Yeah. So I have no obvious or easy solutions to that. But, yeah, they describe it as the beach resort for those who don't like beach resorts. Yeah. So it's kind of centre parks. And this, again, it, it plays back to this idea that they're better than everybody else. That, or maybe, again, I, I don't know. I, 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 all, all the way through this, I don't know how much of this is just me proje- projecting my, my rage on. <laughs> but, again, yes, they, they, they come up with a line about it's the beach resort for people who don't like beach resorts. Well, it's still a beach resort, and you're still treating it as a beach resort. Yeah. You're still no... Regardless of what you say or do, you're still no different to the people that you were looking down on. They're, they're still tourists. Yeah, yeah. It's just that they're, as far as they know, they're on holiday permanently. Yeah, and they've got sl- they're, they're tourists with a slightly more inflated idea of themselves, yeah. Mm. I mean, when I've gone on holiday to other countries, I like seeing the sights. Mm. But the, the, now the thing that does annoy me about thoughtless tourists in London, and it does come back a little bit to what I said just now, those visitors who regard wherever it is they're visiting as a playground that exists for only their benefit Mm. and they forget that this is a place where people live and work where they're going about their day maybe they're commuting to work maybe they're off to a meeting they're not on holiday yeah they're not there to serve you they've got their own lives and you have to bear that in mind so if you come to look at the tower of london fine have a nice time but be aware there's, also, there's going to be people on that bus who don't have time for you to mess around with your suitcases. Yeah, yeah. I can be pretty unsympathetic with um, people that pause in the middle of corridors and stairways to take selfies and things. Um, Does that happen a lot at your place of work? Not so much, <laughs> on the, but, but you know, if you're trying to go through the underground or something, oh, yes, and there's somebody halfway down the... You know, holding up the people that want to walk down the stairs because they've decided to stand in the middle and take a picture looking back up the stairs or something. I mean, it's and it's it's less of an issue, but I've lost count of. I no, I can't remember the last time I walked past a red phone box, and there wasn't a tourist having their picture taken using the phone okay. box. Yeah, apparently the 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 one that always makes me laugh is somebody stuck up a webcam on Abbey Road oh, these yeah. days, and you can go to it, and it's that thing of seeing precisely how long you can go before you see a group of people trying to recreate the Abbey Road album cover. I think 90 seconds was the longest I went when I looked at it. I've been to Abbey Road. Um, they have a gift shop there, because of, of course they do. Yeah. And I thought, well, might as well go. I mean, it's free to get mm. in, have a little look around. And, yeah, there were not exactly crowds, but there were big groups of people on both sides of the road wanting to go yes. over the crossing. And I thought, that's interesting, because I... I think I know why there isn't much traffic here because they know it's a waste of time yeah. trying to get past these crowds of people wanting to cross the road. No, exactly. The people, the people that have to drive down there don't because they know that no. you can't. But um, as Richard and Etienne and Francoise settle into life in, on the beach, effectively um, Etienne and Francoise split up and yeah. she gets together with Richard. And we have the, the shark story mm. where he becomes a little bit of a hero and also, and I can't remember the name of Tilda Swinton's creepy Sal. boy, Sal, that's it. Oh no, she's called Sal. Oh, she's... Her boyfriend's Bugs because... I don't know. I, I, did I miss that explanation? There isn't an explanation. Oh. 
What are the names for three beach leaders? You got Sal, Bugs, and Daffy. Okay, you, Sal. I've got short, Bugs and Daffy. Short for Sylvester. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. But I, I think because I'm, I've never thought of Sal as a shortening of sort of Silv. I could have gone with or something, but or Silv. Well, like Sal, Salvester. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. No, I didn't. It's never mentioned. No. But it's yeah. They've left their old identities mm. behind completely. They've taken these new names. Everyone seems to have taken new names. Mm. When they arrived there, I mean, his, no, his name isn't really Keaty. Maybe, maybe his last name is Keating or something like that. But everyone leaves behind their old self to become part of this new world. Yes, up to a point, because... But, yeah, Keith, but only insofar as it's convenient yes, for them. Yeah, because I was going to say, Keaty turns into one of those boring people that is determined to be as English as possible abroad. So he's, pretty, he, he's obsessed with cricket because that's, he's got that in lieu of well, having a character. I, well, I like that because... It's, it's, good, good, it's, it's, an Ameri- it's like it's an American writing an English person, yeah. except the, the novelist and the screenwriter yeah. are both British and they're just saying, yeah, nuts to it, let's have a bit of fun. No. Because, I mean, but he talks about cricket only insofar as Richard mentions in voiceover that... He is really, he's cricket mad. Mm. And there's a scene where he's trying to explain the rules of cricket to all the non-British people, yeah. and none of them know what he's talking about. It, yeah. And that's kind of it. And I thought, oh, that's nice. That's that's a little funny, but a scene yeah. setting. Yeah, no, that's that's right. But again, it's as you say, it's that thing about people are leaving their past behind. As people, or people talk a lot about leaving their past behind, but they don't actually. As comes into play later on in the film when they make the trip back to the mainland, and everyone suddenly. Got this. Everyone has this huge list of things they want from the yeah. mainland. I don't think there's a, really a single character who doesn't want something, some convenience from the modern yes. world, with the possible exception of unhygienics. All he asks for is something yeah. to stop him from smelling like fish all the time. Yeah, and he doesn't care what it is. And the solution which he comes up with is a pair of marigolds. Yeah, which is actually... Which he's delighted yeah. with. And also, Bugs doesn't want anything physical anyway. Um, he wants Richard to not sleep with yes, Sam. Yeah. Um, but yes, but Bugs, frankly, bit of a creepy weirdo. Would probably have put me... If I'd been there, I would probably not have stayed just on the basis of the fact that I don't like him very much anyway. He's interesting because he seems to present himself as being like the alpha male type. Yeah. And he's not the one in charge no. Sal is the one in charge but she's the 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 iron fist in the velvet glove mm. yeah and I don't and it's kind of hard to tell with, with the character because he's not in it a huge amount no whether he just is kind of whether he's just a bit of a creep who enjoys bullying Richard or whether he's like that to everybody or I think he sees through Richard. Yeah, there might be that more than anything. Because, of course, then in the wake of the shark attack, he starts to go off into some weird monologue. He's going to go off into a shark attack story of his own. But then Richard... Richard shuts him down. Shuts him and down, him. yeah. And gets everyone else to laugh at him, which you get which you get the feeling is the slightly greater sin as far as Bugs is concerned. The loss of status. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's... If this was suppo- if this was a truly sort of egalitarian community, yeah, nobody would care. Yeah, I mean, no one likes being laughed at, mm-hmm. but you could shrug it off or you could do something mm-hmm. to balance that out, rather than 
have this little ball of bitterness festering away and then grab someone's testicles. Yes, yeah. That's probably not healthy. For anybody. No. Well, they're back on the mainland. And the reason they have to go back is because they have to get rice. That's it, yeah, yeah. Because that's the one thing that they need from the mainland. I thought, well, that's fair enough. Yeah, it's fine. Again, it's this... It's, a, it's, it's not a comfort. It's something they genuinely yeah. need to allow their life to continue. Yeah, it gives the lie to this myth that they're this self-sufficient little colony because they never, they never were particularly. Um, no, they grow their own pot. I think that's about the only thing they care about growing. And then they sell it on the mainland and they use the money to buy yeah. rice. So they're kind of... It is, it is almost like a closed unit. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's they're, as, they're as self-sufficient as the goods. Yeah, this is true. Because Eric, the, there but, is stuff they need that they can't produce themselves, but they can exchange it for stuff they already have. But Tom Good was always smug and self-righteous as well. So. Exactly, yeah. Richard Bryce hated Tom Good. <laughs> yeah, that's... I think he preferred Martin Bryce. Because at least mm. everyone knew that Martin Bryce was a jumped-up twerp. Yes. And he was kind of sympathetic because of it. And like a little child. Yeah, yeah, I think that was it. No, in a, in a weird sort of way, Martin Bryce from... It was ever decreasing circles, wasn't it? It was yeah. definitely a much more sympathetic character. Tom Good. But Tom... And this is now turned into the Good Life podcast. <laughs> but as a kid, you watch it and you think Tom Good's great. He's the hero of the series. He's funny. He makes fun of Snooty Margot next door. And it's only with that awareness as you get older that yes, you think if I was if I had to live next to Tom Good or Martin Bryce, I'd probably prefer Martin Bryce because at least he's annoying within very very rigidly defined boundaries. Yeah, and. If you live next to Martin Bryce, you're not going to have a goat coming no, over the golden true. fence, eating all your flowers. Yes. And they're, they're both... This really is turning into the Richard Bryce cast, isn't it? Um, they're both very much Arrested Development. Tom Good is yes. very much like a little boy. Yeah. Who's, a... who's got this sort of bee in his bonnet and is determined to do this thing hmm. without really thinking through anything. Whereas Martin Bryce still holds on to this childhood trauma almost mm. of being the little boy left out in the cold and is now determined to make himself the centre of the community yes, yeah. in every possible way. And then when the new nice boy comes along that everyone likes and is great, he sulks. He, yeah. get, he sulks and he gets really upset and paranoid, even though he has absolutely nothing to be paranoid about. Mm. In summary, ever decreases so because it's a great series. It's fantastic. I bought the, the, the yeah. set over Christmas. They really must release um, If You See God Tell Him. Yeah. Because again, that's it's Richard Bryce again ha- suffering a kind of arrested situation where he can't, he has a attention span of 30 seconds, so he believes everything that he's told in commercials. Mm. And by the end of the first episode, his wife is dead uh, and he is in a wheelchair now being looked after by his par- his uh, children. And it only gets more bizarre from there. <laughs> yeah. The series ends with him living in a padded cell, having, right. a, hu- having a hallucination about um, being in a Ferrero Rocher commercial. I don't remember. I remember it <laughs> being weird and bleak, but I don't think I stuck with it long enough to get to the end. Well, it was written by David Renwick. And I oh, think okay, was, that explains... It, it for people who thought One Foot in the Grave was too cheery and upbeat. Mm. Which character in The Beach do you think should have been played by Richard Bryars? Uh... Francois, not Francois. No, that would be Etienne. madness. Etienne. Actually, I think I could imagine Keaty. 
Yeah, actually, you could do because like, he's very English and loves cricket and that all that kind of thing. But I think just in terms of the the fundamental niceness of Richard Briers, I think he could do Etienne quite well. Mm. And Richard Briers has probably got a reasonable stab at a French accent. Well, he could probably manage Belgian. Yes, yeah, that's true. While they're on the mainland, um, Richard bumps into the Americans again. Mm, that's right. They followed him. They followed yeah. his map. And Sal finds out that he'd left his map behind. And her reaction is... Pragmatic. Yeah. Disappointing. But, but there's also, this is when Richard begins this process of telling lie after lie, isn't it? Because he, tell, he, he lies and says he told them about the island, but didn't give them a map. I think that that's what he tells Sal at the I time. Think so, yeah. And her response is, well, okay, this is a problem that can be contained. Yeah, he can just lie to them and say, yeah. oh, they're, they're, oh they're, we looked and it turns out there's nothing there. And, um, it, oh, that, that's a shame, but hey, never mind. Hey, why didn't you give me the map back? You don't need it yeah, anymore. Yeah. It's not real. Give it back now. Give it back. Please. And um, he fails to contain it mm. because he's not a very good liar, which kind of, under, I think, undermines the uh, un- unreliable narrator because he's not very good at being unreliable. But you could you can have somebody that because I I suppose you could argue that the lie if he's an unreliable narrator the the lies that he's telling are kind of self he's telling the story that he thinks makes him the best possible version of his character whereas it's the difference between lying to yourself and lying to other people and I could actually buy somebody that is very bad at lying to other people but quite good at lying to themselves. Sal's other response is to blackmail Richard into having sex with her. <laughs> yes, right. And I don't quite understand that response. She's an odd... Whether it's just because she wants to have sex with him and you sees this as uh, an opportunity. I suppose it depends how calculating you want to... how much calculation you want to read into Sal's character. She's obviously been partnered with Bugs for six years at one point, don't they say the colony's been yeah. going? Um... She is it just a power play? Is it? It gives her a secret to hold over Richard in case Richard starts getting too big for her boots, but too big for his boots. Mm. But it also gives her something to hold over bugs, and it. I don't know. She's very much devoted to the colony, colony. because it, it, we've had the scene where they pull somebody's tooth out at this point. Yeah, because they? Yeah. They, can't, they can't go back to the dentist on the mainland. Yeah, and that's all that. That's all that's important to her. Is that nothing else? matters mm-hmm. um, so I don't know if it's just seen as another another piece of, another thing that might be useful for the stability of the colony to keep everything in check yeah yeah maybe you're right I think so but and then there was the scene where they have the photo on the beach yes like just I mean even by that point it's starting to sour mm. but it is this last the last time everyone was happy. Yeah, it pretty much is, isn't it? I, I'd forget, thinking about. I couldn't remember where, it, but it does come before the unpleasantness. <laughs> With a capital U. Yes. Yeah. Um, because among the people in the colony are three Swedes, and only I think only two of them speak English, or one only one of them speaks yeah, English. Yeah. Yeah. But when they're out fishing in the bay one day, one of them is attacked by a shark. No, actually, two of them are attacked mm. by a shark. One of them is killed, and the other is very seriously injured. And they can keep him alive, but they can't treat him. And he is slowly dying. Yes. And this is putting a crimp 
on their fun. Yes, yeah, it's very hard to be hedonistic when you've got somebody at the back of the tent moaning in agony. So their solution is to take him into a little tent out in the jungle where he's just out of sight and out of mind. Yeah. And who is it who has the biggest problem with this? It's, it's Etienne. Yeah. Who says that this is totally immoral and can't believe anyone is doing this. So he volunteers to stay there and look after him. Yeah. And it removes him from... Because he disappears from the film at that point, effectively, doesn't he? Um, until... He, he ceases to have an impact on the story from hmm. there, really. Uh, I mean, he's in, the, he's in the rest of the story, but yeah. he's more of a background player from that point. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an interesting little writer's trick, in a way, as well, because he's used to the story he's kind of done at that, because his, his whole point is to be there with Francois and then to be dumped... Um, yeah. And then he doesn't. You you could just have scenes of him hanging around in the background, glaring at Richard, but actually moving him out like that and using him to create a moral point about the other characters is is just a very very neat little piece of writing. Yeah. I, re- I I really liked it. For for all I said that the the journey to the beach was the most effective part of the film. This is a ni- this is a nice little sequence and a and a good little subplot. Um, As you said, Etienne is the real hero of this story. Yeah. Because he's the one who is practical and pragmatic, but also compassionate, compassionate and does the right thing all the way through. Mm. When Francoise dumps him for Richard, he's not happy about it, but no. he doesn't bear a grudge because he knows that will ultimately be destructive yeah. and it will damage the community as a whole. So he just sits, sets back and just keeps his own counsel mm. or maybe he's talking to other people about it just sort of venting a bit but he knows that you you know I can't let this poison the well yeah and his relationship with Richard is completely destroyed oh yeah, as a absolutely result. I mean they, they still sort of are able to work together later in the film but it's more mutual interest rather than anything else yeah the Americans arrive on the beach with some uh, women they've with them and they find the the pot farm and their first reaction is to make as much fucking noise as uh, they yeah, possibly yeah. can yeah well of course because well, I think one of them shouts something about being in dope heaven or something yeah, yeah well, whatever but Sal has assigned Richard to keep an eye on the approaches to the island mm. yes he's been told to sit there and just the, the, for some reason, they've decided that the Americans are working their way down the beach, uh, down the coast to the to where the beach is. I think, aren't yeah. they? And so Salas said, "You you stay up here and you intercept them when they get sort of this far." And that's when it all goes a bit heart of darknessy, and yeah. he goes a bit. Richard's been having these Vietnam fantasies mm. for quite a while, and the book goes into a lot of detail about him having not. But it, it's not fantasy about Vietnam, it's Vietnam movies. Yes, yeah. Platoon, Apocalypse Now, all of that. And it's sort of, again, it's the idea of placing himself within stories, that uh, he has to be the the hero of his own narrative. Mm. It gets to the point where he's imagining himself in this video game scenario. But then the Americans finally do arrive, and he completely fails to do anything about it. <laughs> and... <laughs> The Americans and their girlfriends arouse the ire of the very angry farmers 
and they all get shot. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's really horrible. It is. They're just machine gunned down. And they're idiots, but they couldn't possibly know what they no, what they're getting not. into. Yeah, and equally that if it hadn't been for the happy accident of sort of Richard seeing the monkey, and the only, that could, that could have just been there, you know. Although you do kind of get the impression that these are not hardened drug; they're not used to gunning people down on a regular basis. Um, but yeah, it's a nasty little sequence, but but again, an effective one. And I think, and Richard still fails to get hold of the map, doesn't he? In fact, I'm not really clear what Richard thinks he's doing through that whole sequence. There's almost a point when it looks like he's decided to get the the drug farmers to get rid of the Americans. And he digs a hole and he puts some, like, punji sticks in it or something. But it's not really clear if he's doing stuff or if he's just running around and living out his own Vietnam fantasy. I think, I think it's just living out fantasy, this desire for adventure is overriding his mm. own rational thinking because he's now become so divorced from the real world yeah. out, of the, out of this little bubble that he can just pretend that, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an adventure I'm in now and I've got to avoid the bad guys. Yes, and that's, that then leads into the sort of the, the weird computer gamey bit. Yeah. And, but yeah, as you say, he, he had... He, you know, he he fails to do the one thing he was asked to, which is get the map. Do you think that Richard is now going the same way as Daffy? Yes, um, I think so. I mean, and I think this is, and that's kind. Of, and this this gets back to how I, I expect. I thought that the film was going to end with Richard in the same hotel, telling people about the beach in the same way that Daffy was. I thought that the film would effectively just kind of go full circle. Mm. Um, I can see, I can see that happening. It's the kind of ending that you would guess, rather than the kind of ending the story needs that goes off in a yeah, direction yeah. that you that you wouldn't expect, and that I think is a bit more satisfying. But that's yeah. the kind of. It would have wrapped everything up, and and it would have put, it would have worked. It would have put a neat bow on it. But it would have worked more with my original idea that in some way the island or the beach was a trap. And that if Daffy had been sent out to lure three repl- some replacements back for people that are left or been eaten by sharks or whatever, mm. then with Daffy gone, they need somebody else to do that, and then Richard becomes that person. It c- it could have worked, and that was kind of where I was expecting it to lead to. It's but a bit wicked, man, isn't it? It possibly, yeah. In fact, it's it's more like the remake of the Wicker Man. Oh God, where really? there are actually people going out into the world and. Oh, women having children with outsiders and then luring them back to the island. Uh, I don't want to be responsible for anything to do with... Yeah, it, it, no, let's not remake the remake of The Wicker Man. Yeah, uh, Neil DeBute's been fired from whichever theatre company he was res- writing residence for and they've been very cagey about the reasons why he's been fired. Mm-hmm. And uh, James Franco is in the remake of The Wicker Man as well. He's got a little cameo at the end. Okay. And he's now persona non grata, except for HBO, who's just cast him in a new TV show. Because that's fine. <laughs> With all that's happened now, the beach has been poisoned, mm-hmm. figuratively speaking. Um, the farmers. Yeah, they're, they're not. Are happy. not pleased. No. Also, Richard has gone to the tent where uh, Christo yeah. is laying, and. 
Richard says that they're going to have to kill him. And I, I can't quite remember how it goes, but he gets Etienne to just leave the town. He said he knows he, that they know that he knows that the the farm is going to be coming down. Yeah. And so yes, he sends. He wants to send Etienne and Francois to the boat, and he'll wait for them there. And then yes, he ends the life of the poor Swede, who's still been hanged. It's not really clear how many days or weeks later it is at this point. It's the whole time that he's yeah. been up in the mountains. So it's. So it could be a considerable, but but gangrene has set in on this guy, and this guy is just dying by inches. Isn't yeah. It? So he just suffocates, and this I think that's the point where I mean. When he sees the the Americans and the others being killed, that snaps Richard out of yeah. his little fantasy land. And then, when he has to kill Christo, that's sort of the the moment where he realizes this is complete. This is over. Yes. There's no way this can survive. Yeah, and then, but then, of course, it the the, the planning turns out to have been for nothing anyway because the. The farmers have already turned up, and yet, as expected, they're not happy. They um, they make a deal with um, Sal, which is that the, the colony will be allowed to stay. They, the, the whole time, the farmers knew the colony was mm. there, but they left them alone on the grounds that they that they just kept themselves, and no one else came to the island. But now they see that yes, people have been coming to the island the whole time, and they've been even giving out maps yeah. to get there, and they say, well. You can stay as you are if you kill Richard. And they hand Sal a revolver. And almost everyone in the colony say, no, don't do it, don't do it. Because how does Sal think that the colony can survive the way it is if it has to sacrifice a human life? Well, there's a... Jumping back a bit, there's there's a shot of the... The guy that hands Sal the revolver empties the bullets out of it and I thought that he was and this was kind of because it had just come on the back of all these weird Vietnam War references and stuff I thought he was going to require somebody to play Russian roulette I thought it was going to suddenly suddenly turn into the deer hunter Um, but yeah I mean no that's the thing is you've already seen effectively that, that for want of a better phrase Sal is a psychopath I think Nothing matters to her except the colony. And, you know, she knows that people are okay with when the guy has his tooth pulled. That's presumably not the first time that somebody's had a dental emergency or something. So people are okay. And because it's that weird kind of macho bonding thing where everyone can laugh about it afterwards, about how funny it was when they pulled somebody's tooth out. Um, And then... There's something else that's, you know, and I, I think she's... Putting Christo away out of the jungle where you don't have to think about it. Exactly, yeah. You know, I think it is just... And I think that she's just assuming that everybody thinks like she does and that well, this is just another thing you have to do. And that's that's the mark of a sociopath, I yes. think. That, the lack of empathy. Yeah. And she does pull the trigger but the gun, or at least the chamber, is empty. Yeah, she pulls it twice. I think it clicks twice. So um, initially where I thought that the gun had been emptied, and I still at this point thought it was a Russian roulette thing, but I think, yeah, I think when you see the shot of the guy emptying the gun, he's emptying it completely rather than just taking out all but one bullet or something. 
But yeah, and this doesn't go down with very well with the other residents of the colony, and everyone leaves. Yeah, it, it's 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 hackneyed, but she may he she may not have shot Richard, but she put a bullet through the head of the idea of no the colony exactly. as being any kind of utopia, and they leave, and mm. they just they just leave her there, and um, the next we see of Richard, he's in a. Um, in an internet cafe somewhere, he's mm. still he's still travelling. One gets the impression, but he's uh, oh yeah, yeah, in sort of uh, nicer, more sort of uh, technologically advanced surroundings. And he's had an email from Francoise with the the picture of that that perfect moment. Mm. And you you can see that he's still as a, as he says in voiceovers, there's there's that perfect moment that you can just if you can capture that. You can keep that with you forever, and it's it's something special and unique that no one can ever get at. Mm. In the original alternative ending, when they leave Sal on her own, she shoots herself. Okay, yeah, that's pretty bleak. <laughs> because there is nothing... Yeah. Evil. She has nothing left apart from the colony, and the colony is dead. Right. So she has nothing left to keep her alive, even bugs... Leaves. Does it? You see, I didn't because she's the, as the impression we get as the last we see of her is there is nobody else there. Right. So even Bugs thinks that this is too far, and he's he's like he's like regular nasty. Yeah, yeah. He's like just like an unpleasant person, but he he'll stop short of actually killing people. Mm. So that was the original ending to the film, or the ending to the book? That was the original ending to the film. Okay. Uh, with the line, once if you can't take paradise, what option do you have? The original ending to the book is quite different, and it involves Richard and... I'm trying to remember, because I read this book 20 years ago. Richard, Etienne and Francoise spiking the food in the colony. And them and Kitty, I think maybe the surviving Swede and maybe a couple of others, fleeing the island as the rest of the colony just go into drug psychosis and start hacking each other to pieces. Blimey. <laughs> they didn't deserve that. It's, well, it's the idea that you, paradise cannot survive. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really quite shocking. And yeah, nasty. yeah. The, the last lines of the, of the book, I think, are preserved in the, the alternate ending, which is that Richard thinks of himself as carrying a lot of scars, mm. and, but the, the the finished version of the film actually has that much more not optimistic but more positive ending that you know that there was something great there once, and even if it's not possible to capture in the real world, you can still hang on to it. Yeah, I have a beach of my own, and it's it's a real place. That was the most perfect, peaceful environment. It was just so calm and relaxing, and I've never felt more comfortable and at rest at any time than on that beach. Okay, where was it? I don't want to say. That seems fair enough. Because... Not that I have the same influence, but we know what happens to the beach in the movie. The real one. Mm. It's destroyed. And 
because for me it exists as a, as a perfect memory, a perfect moment and I'd like to try and keep it that way for real and that it, it's, it's mine, it's my secret and so I don't want to say where it is except it is an actual it is beach a place. It's, it's an actual beach rather than a park yes but um, you know, just sitting there listening to the the waves breaking and looking up into the sky I have never felt more just yeah mm. centred do you have anywhere like that? I <laughs> I'm sure if I sat down and thought about it I possibly do um, there are certainly obviously places that I have very very fond good memories of um, the place that I you know, a, a couple of places that I grew up as a kid. But the problem is you can't go back to those places because I can't go... I can't, apparently I can't get back to 1977. But there are maybe sort of perfect moments that oh, you yeah. can just hold on to. Just, that, you can sort of mentally travel back there. Yeah. You can't, yeah. you can't go home again, but you can imagine that point... And there is that slightly weird sensation where you feel that if you can imagine it well enough, that in some weird way you could sort of step into it, like stepping into a picture or something. Yes. I like to sometimes just close my eyes and be back on that beach. Mm. And when sort of the noise and the, the, the hustle and the stress of the world get too much, it's nice there just to, to feel the sand between my fingers and hear the waves. Listener, I hope you have a beach of your own because it's worth an awful lot. I think it's worth an awful lot. But then the DVD's available for only about two quid on Amazon, so it's, a, it's a, an acceptable alternative substitute if uh, you need a starting point. So what did you think of the film overall? I... Yeah, I liked... I, I, I liked it. I was surprised. I'm not... I'm still, I still carry my vague half-forgotten grudge towards Leonardo DiCaprio. Can't remember why. But went through this and thought, yeah, that, uh, that in the end was pretty good. Although I do think it loses its way once they reach... Once, once they find paradise. Once they find paradise. They need to, the, yeah. the story has to do something else. I'm not so fond of the ending, I don't think. I, I don't really buy the person that sits down in the internet cafe... And he's just browsing through his emails. I don't see how that could be the same person that's responsible for the deaths of four people and directly was, you know, directly caused the death of a fifth person. But you know, it's 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 an entertaining little film. I'm a little bit surprised to hear that it was so sort of critically damned at the time because I don't think it's it's not that bad. But equally, going the other way, it's not Oscar worthy either. No, I think that was wishful thinking on Fox's part. Yeah, but. Rotten Tomatoes, it has nineteen percent. Really, as bad as that? Yeah, I'm it's really quite shocking that. that it's that low. And I do think it's the responses of the time. Mm. I think it's it's a bit of the Danny Boyle backlash and the Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. backlash. The final scene of the alternate ending, um, there, there you don't have the scene in the internet cafe. It's all the survivors from the colony have fashioned a, a huge raft and are paddling back to the mm. mainland. And along the way, they're picked up by a ferry, and they all climb aboard until the last person left on the raft is Richard. 
who is just sitting quietly cross-legged, staring back at the island, as we hear in voice of his thoughts about how he thinks of himself as carrying a lot of scars still. Right. And it's a great performance, I think, by Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. He's a lot of the time... He says a lot during the movie, but what he says and what he's really thinking are rarely the same thing. Mm. And I, I haven't been a big fan of his before this. I, had, I didn't think much of Titanic. No. I hated Romeo plus Juliet. Didn't see it, but yeah. Oh, it's, my mother swears by it, but I thought it was absolutely awful. <laughs> um, but I think this is the moment where you see he's actually a pretty good actor. Mm. He's got There's more to him than just being a, a pin-up. So as well as this being the start of the Boyle-Garland connection... This is the start, I think, of Leonardo DiCaprio being taken seriously mm. as a great actor. And all he had to do to get his Oscar was go back to the wilderness. <laughs> yes, yeah. And sit in the cold and be a bit miserable for a couple of days. Thanks to Chris for making the time for this recording. Cinema Limbo is now on Apple Podcasts with over 40 episodes available, so please download, review and subscribe. Podnose is also on Patreon, so please do make a one-off or regular contribution to help us with our running costs. We're also on Twitter at cinema underscore limbo and in person at j underscore j underscore phillips with two L's. However, until next time, do you want to take a hike? You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network. So please visit us at www.podnose.com.